Welcome to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. I'm Rick Cushman. And I'm Paul Wagner. So, Paul, you know that big crew of engineers and programmers and those technicians, all those guys we employ to keep our Wayback Machine working? The guys who work on our coffee maker? Right, those guys. <laughs> well, they, I got them to build us a way forward machine. Yeah. yeah. Good. I don't know how it works, but it's going to take a shot at looking into a few years into wine's future. We're going to have flying cars. Uh, I'm not telling. Okay. I'm not telling. Okay. Um, also today, listeners ask a couple of questions about cheap wine. That's your area of expertise, right? <laughs> well, cheap is more me. Um, <laughs> what reds might appeal to white wine drinkers? How to get wine spills off of furniture? Another and w- one for you, Rick. Uh, many time. And we have another wine and backpacking question from Paul's other life. Plus, our horrible wine writing is particularly determined and uniquely unique. And, <laughs> and as usual, we will be making fun of wine stops. By the way, a couple of reminders, as usual, those are that we are still on Capital Public Radio's podcast lineup, Sacramento's NPR station, Paul. A recommended podcast I lineup. Know. They love us. They really do. Yep. Uh, we're also on Napa Broadcasting, a network that comes out of Napa Valley College, and they should know so, better. So we manage, we manage to demean the reputations of both National Public Radio and the community college system in the state of California. We're pretty impressive. Uh, and don't forget to look for us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Our handle is at Rick and Paul Wine. You can go there and ask us a question anytime. So last month, uh, Paul, we uh, we started the new year by saying uh, not a lot was changing in wine, despite all those, the usual hype stories, right. all that stuff about <clears throat> this is what's going to happen. It's not being Pe- delivered to us by drones yet. Yes. No, well, that, that could happen. It could happen. Um, so we got a call or a question actually from Elizabeth and Davis, and she said, mm-hmm. I get all those predictions at the start of a year um, about instant change are pretty silly. But with the climate and technology and lots of other things, the world is changing. So what's wine going to be like a few years from now? Now, my first answer would be, uh, how do we know? Yeah, I mean, you're asking the wrong people. We, we don't know what wine's like today. Well, yeah, there's that, too. So, <laughs> but that's why we had our technology and engineering team build that WayForward machine. So now we have a few ideas. Okay. Did, did they actually build any sound effects for our WayForward machine? No. Well, the thing about traveling in time is it's silent. No, no, no. There's, uh, sound will not travel. Only people. <laughs> okay. All right. So here's a couple of things that, uh, that are coming up. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Well, first one, obviously, is climate change. Yeah. Which means that a lot of places that 25 years ago were getting weather that made it very difficult for them to make good wine are now getting weather where they can make really good wine. And I was at the Texas Sommelier Conference a year ago, Texom, and tasted sparkling wine from England that was absolutely sensationally good. And I think you're going to see more countries in Northern Europe being uh, being able to make wine countries that couldn't before. Right, right. And the countries that do make wine in the north, like Germany, are making, you know, it seems like year after year they've got wonderful ripe grapes, not struggling the way they would have 30 years ago. Yeah, you know, and in- England is a great example because they were, they are famous for, in, in essence, the history of European wine and that they couldn't make wine, so they became one of the great markets for wine. Right. And now, not only even just bubbly, but they're making still wines, and bubbly yeah, yeah. takes slightly less ripe grapes, I suppose yeah. is a way to say that. Yeah. You know, there's some, you know, to also talk about, um, you know, how given climate change, um, what what might change with how winemakers make grapes, whether that vintage is going to ma- matter as much, whether regions might matter as much, whether they're going to blend differently. Yeah, I think for certainly, and we've already seen this change, wines are more consistent. You know, vintage used to be a very big deal. 
You wanted to buy the 74. You didn't want to buy the 75. Right. These days, frankly, wine is made really quite consistently from vintage to vintage. Right. And, you know, whereas it used to be a, you know, a 30% quality versus a 90% quality, now it's 70, 80, 90, 85, 90, 98. Yeah. They're all pretty... It's hard to find bad wine these days. Well, and the difference can be volume. You know, for particularly site-specific kinds of wines, if they have a bad vintage, they will have less of it. But uh, but because winemakers are able to, especially with you know more generalized wines, are able to get grapes from other places yep. and, and to deal with it. Yep. So, but with climate change, I mean, one of the possibilities is that. Um, as things change, winemaking might require more science in the in the winery. Well, one of the things that people have experimented with for years, and we're still seeing results, is different kinds of yeasts. Yeah. And you know, one of the criticisms of some California wines is they pick the grapes when grapes when they are absolutely beautiful ripe, but when they do that, then by the time they ferment these with their with the current yeasts, the alcohol comes out at fourteen and a half, fifteen, even above fifteen percent alcohol. They're now developing yeasts that would give you the same flavors in the wine, but would end up with a slightly lower alcohol content. I know that's not of interest to you, Rick, but there are people. Well, it's who, of interest. I try to stay away from those <laughs> low alcohol. But wines there are people who would prefer wines to be less alcoholic than they are. I've, I've heard. I've heard those rumors. Yeah. So there, there's all all sorts of things that might be changing um, from technology, really. Uh, you know, I mean, you think about life. You think about the geometric progression of, of how things have changed. Well, just in general, Paul, I'm not being philosophical. Oh, on man. But Rick just, being <laughs> philosophical. But, look, you know, the, the, <laughs> the iPhone was was invented in 2007. I mean, now it's in a watch. Now it's in a watch that gives that can tell you whether you might fall. And you know, I mean, it's got they've got all kinds of technology. It's just an astounding thing. And so, you know, it's hard to imagine that winemaking will not be affected by it. And the questions are, how might it affect? Well, they wines? might actually include an app for the iPhone that would tell you if you drank how much wine you would drink before you fell. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Well, actually, they do have breathalyzer type uh, apps in there. <laughs> yeah, they do. Yeah. Uh, yep. But the, but there's you know there's other things that might happen with technology. Uh, some of it some of it might just be um, you know harvesting or you know machine harvesting. And now you know there's a lot of lot of uh, folks that argue that the machine harvesting actually can be more gentle than people. Right. They're, and they're of course right. and more selective and more selective. Right. More selective. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. it only picks the very ripe berries. Right. So well, and you're just saying you know the the kind of GIS management of vineyards where it used to be that you would farm the vineyard. And then it started being individual blocks of the vineyard. And now we're seeing individual rows being farmed slightly differently because they all have slightly different weather conditions. And that's all because of technology inputs. Yeah. Um, well, and the need for that might change, too. You know, one of the things that we have talked about a little bit and, and if anybody follows the wine business is that getting getting help is harder. Getting labor in the fields well, Rick, is harder. I've been trying to get you help for some time, and it has become almost I've, impossible. Nobody will accept it. They, they won't take me as a patient. I don't quite <laughs> But, you know, one of the places where the farm labor is going is the cannabis industry, which pays better. So in Cal- places like California where it's legal, that is, this uh, is it's competition. This is grass talk with Rick and Paul. Yes, we're not going to do that one. But but <laughs> so that is other reasons for that. You know, and then there's there's... One of the impetuses, I suppose, one of the forces that it might be affecting the wine business is really uh, is working clean. 
you know, <laughs> and this is um, one of the things that a lot of the wine business is already sort of, or the wine making business is already at about sustainability and that. But you know, UC Davis teaching a research winery, they have solar powered, zero carbon emission winery. That's how they call it. In fact, there are those. There, uh, there are a number of those around the world. Yeah, and it's quickly, I think, going to become a standard, which is great. Um, and I also think, you know, we've talked about different kinds of packaging, but the wine bottle with the glass, well, the glass bottle with the cork is, if, if you were to design the perfect package for wine, that wouldn't be it. And you mean with a, the, a piece of bark from a tree wouldn't be the thing you'd in shove a in your of melted rock. Yeah, right. Um, and it's too heavy. Uh, it's too fragile. There are lots of ways that that could be made better. And I'm convinced that over time that'll happen. Uh, if if for no other reason than it'll cut down on shipping costs to use a lightweight container. Well, and that gets back to your drones. You know, if I'm uh, if my drone is coming to my house because I finished my last bottle of wine and I want I want it here quick. You want it here fast. I and want, you don't it, want light. it to be weighed down yeah. by a heavy glass bottle. Yeah, and one of the, you know, there's all sorts of things. I mean, the stuff that we see now, like cans and tetra packs, which is those sort of milk carton like materials and. Uh, and uh, light aluminum. But right. one of the possibilities that I have been reading people talking about is a, it's actually a form of sugar that, uh, that gets spun into a, um, into a, a container like sorts of things huh. so that you, it's actually, um, you drink your wine and then for and then dessert you eat, the, you eat, your eat bottle. the bottle. Yeah. 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 Well, okay. Good. Great, great with a port. I'm thinking. <laughs> um, and you know, there's, I mean, there's other parts too. You know, there's, there is the wine experience, you know, right. my old job with the wine company that we were making 360 videos, right. you know, that were pretty cool. So you were really right out there in the vineyard and the winery and, um, and, and, you know, the idea of sort of falling in love with the magic of wine country, um, yeah, yep. they could even they could even let you pick the grapes for the bottle. Yep. You can go out there in the vineyard and yes. pick the grapes. And... Yes, and then uh, a snob comes along and says, "No, my crazy friend, you do not pick that one. What is wrong with you?" <laughs> um, speaking Excellent. of snobs, speaking of snobs, uh, here's what I'm hoping though. This is okay. me. This is instead of the flying cars, I'm rooting for robot sommeliers. Excellent. I think Siri and Alexa might be which, nicer. Which, they are nicer. Which wine would you like, Rick? <laughs> no. And, and would, that, the, would the robot have a good Italian accent for Vino Nobile well, de Monte I think it would depend on the wine, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, then depending, and then they'll make suggestions for me to buy glasses. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Yeah, so you can read the wine list, right, glasses. Right. Yeah. Okay, good. All right. Well, you know, there's probably one thing that's not going to change, Paul. What's that? Us? Well, besides us. Okay, well... What do you think? Snobs. Yep. They're, yeah. gonna, they're not going away, unfortunately. Yep. Well, that means the world will need us even more, Paul. The fight continues. We, we will fight to our last breath, and we're going to start right now by <laughs> okay. taking a couple taking qu- a question. Taking a question. Taking a question. That's right. Uh, and this is from our robot, Sommelier Alexa. No. <laughs> no. No, by the way, thank you for listening to Ball Talk with Rick and Paul. And uh, as we take questions, a reminder to go to us anywhere on any of our social media and at Rick and Paul Wine or at our website at rickandpaulwine.com. Ask us a question. We'll say nice things about you and make fun of the robots. All right, so this one actually is um, this is from Paul's other life. Paul is uh, an, a, an, out, an outdoorsman of sorts. Of sorts. Of, um, I'm out of sorts anyway. Yeah and, yeah, and the outdoors are not really happy about it, but there he is. <laughs> there he is. So this is from Joe in Woodland. Joe says, I uh-huh. recently found your podcast after following, following Paul's backpacking blog for the last 10 years. Oh, cool. I've also seen Paul's post on backpackinglight.com, a backpacking website that focuses on reducing pack weight for comfort. 
Yeah. Not sure for backpacks, but do either of you bring wine when backpacking? I bring wine anywhere, so of course, Joe. Uh, so but Rick doesn't go backpacking. And he says, if so, what wine goes best with dehydrated food? What do you use for carrying the wine and glasses? I've had red wine in Sierra Cup and strong advice against it. So if you know what the traditional Sierra Club cup is, it's that stainless steel cup with the wire handle that's one of the worst designs of any product anywhere. Why even I spill with that? Well, you not only spill, but try drinking hot liquid out of that. Right, right. The whole cup becomes as hot as the liquid. You burn your It's Anyway, terrible design. Um, so what kind of wine to go with the freeze-dried food? I won't surprise you. I think wine gets beaten up a little bit when you take it backpacking because you're toting it around on the on your back for a Plus, while. Plus, I've told you not to throw your backpack down when you well, get you know, mad at I'm it. I'm sorry. Yeah. That's not when it's I'm just, mad at it. Yeah. It's when it's heavy. <laughs> uh, so first of all, what I normally do is I have a couple of plastic wine bottles that I have carefully saved over the years when I discovered a bottle of wine in a plastic bottle. So I've actually saved those bottles, and I take a relatively young wine because it will stand up to abuse a lot better than an old wine. And I pour it into this plastic bottle, and that's what we take if we take wine backpacking. Uh, and often I'll t we'll take an airline bottle, you know, one of the smaller bottles, uh, so we don't have to carry so much weight. It's heavy stuff. Yeah, and there are, you know, there are actually some decent plastic wine glasses. They're no, yep. they're no heavier than any plastic cup. Although so. I have to admit, when my wife and I are backpacking, we often drink straight from the bottle. Wow, you are you a know, wild man, Paul. Because, you know, know you're know in the woods, you're having we're, fun. We're, we're going to keep moving along on this. The other thing, actually, and, and Joe, we talked about this on a show a couple weeks ago because we got another backpacking question, which is about what wines go well in the mountains, right. which is, you know, and it tends to be for lots of reasons, but that, in essence, your taste buds are less less effective out there. Yes. And so, yeah. you know, bigger, bolder, slightly sweeter wines, to be honest, yep. and they're easy to pack yep. around, and you don't have to worry about recorking. They're not going to yep. go bad on you. Funny story, I once took a really nice bottle of white wine from Alsace up on a backpacking trip, put it in a creek to chill while we got ready for dinner, and a couple of hikers came by, and they were complaining bitterly and obscenely about the effing slobs who that left their uh, who left garbage? their trash <laughs> in the stream, and I had to point out to them that was not trash. That was our dinner that we were planning to. We, were, yep. we invited them over well, for a glass. Oh, I was going to say after they saw you make your dinner, they said, "No, oh, no, we take it back. That was trash." <laughs> All right. By the way, I need to point out that Joe is probably something of a glutton for punishment because he not only does he read your blog, he listens to Bottle Talk, and he's read my first book. Aye, aye, aye. So um, yeah, that's a trifecta right there. He, yeah, and he asked. I was playing the right one on the foothills. The first one was about Napa, and maybe sometime in your copious <clears throat> free time. In my copious free time, yes, yes, yes. Uh, our next question is from Melissa from San Jose, and I need to point out that she's a new friend. I uh, met her when I was down in in Carmel, Monterey, and her her husband Roy coaches the San Jose Sharks minor league hockey team. They're called the Barracuda. Not the Barracudas, wow. but the, the Barracuda. Barracuda. Singular. Right. Singular, yep. Excellent. Yes, Excellent. and he's invited us to come down, which we are definitely going to do. So uh, Melissa asks, what reds would a white wine drinker like? She says, why would I like a Malbec more than, say, a Pinot? And she says, on the other hand, I also like a big cab as a white wine drinker. So my answer to you, Melissa, is you just have a variety of things that you like and— yeah, although fit. I'm going to I'm going to suggest something here that many times people who like white wine when they say they like white wine often like Chardonnay. 
And of all the white wines in the world, Chardonnay may be the closest thing to a red wine there is in the world of white wine. It's in terms of the body of it? The body yep. of it, the often lower acidity. Yeah. So yeah, that yeah, yeah. The, the, the distance between Chardonnay and a lighter-bodied Pinot Noir yeah. is not near as big as you might think it is. And that's where I'd start. But if she likes big cabs, my only suggestion is she probably doesn't like tannin. That's when most people don't like red wine. It's the tannin, and I would just I would just go for wines that ha- and and almost any varietal can be made in a style that has less. Yeah, and tannin. she said she likes Malbec, and Malbecs can often not be tannic. Not very tannic, yeah. and most New World Pinots aren't very tannic. Yeah, and you know, interesting because one one of the suggestions I always make to folks for one who are white wine drinkers looking for red is a Pinot because it mm-hmm. is, tends to be a little lighter. Right. But in, in you know sometimes it's just the thing. You know, my wife who likes reds and is a white wine drinker doesn't like Pinot. And it's just the flavors. They just so don't work just for her. So you just open it up and say, "Oh, honey, I forgot. I, I'll have to drink it all rough. myself." It's rough. You go ahead, sip over there. I'll <laughs> I'll look after this. I poured you a little glass, but I'll have to yeah. finish the bottle. But yeah, and so, but in general, it is um, for white wine drinkers going to red. Something without the tannin is a, probably a really good place right. to start. So, which is and, this, and she hit them yeah. with Malbec, um, a California Pinot, yeah. and maybe even a softer cab. Yep. All right, well, that's it for questions for now. We will have more in just a bit. Uh, you're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul, of course. And up next, we've got some really horrible wine writing for you. And I say it every time. I don't know why that music should make me so happy. But he, you should see him in the studio. He's yes. actually dancing every Could, time it comes yeah, on. Right, because what is coming is always so sad, and Paul. And, and so is his dancing. <laughs> well, that's no surprise, is it? Am I up? You okay. are. The wine plays its cards in an upfront manner. So the, the, this wine cannot bluff. Apparently not. Nope. Although nope. it clearly lays all of its cards on the table. Yep. It shows confidence and determination. This is a softly enriched red wine with black fruit, dried blackberry aromas, erotic, excuse me, exotic spice, savory smoke, and cured salty minerality. My favorite. The stamp of perfection is the bright, crunchy, lifted finish. I have no idea what that means. Well, well, first, before we get to, the, to uh, maybe my new version of minerality, is th- that you're like, crunchy, lifted fi- finish. I Crunchy, I, lifted finish. I, I can't imagine what that would be. No, but I sort of like the softly enriched red wine. Yes. Uh, what is it? Enriched it's with what? Vitamins? Um, um, whole wheat? That's the wine of the future, right? <laughs> it's going to have plenty of vitamin B. Vitamin B. And C, of course. Yes, yeah. and exotic spice. But I think cured minerality cured is... Cured salty minerality. That's a new one for us. I think so, that, yes. Yeah. I, I do like the savory smoke, too, because is there any other kind of smoke? Well, there's sweet smoke. That's true. There's they, sweet smoke. In there's yes, the, in this smoke. It's a stamp of perfection. But I also like that it shows confidence and determination. I would hire this wine. <laughs> this wine would do a good job around so the office. Yes. Right. Around your house. <laughs> that's right. That's I, right. Put you I, out of a job, I, Rick. I, well, I could use it around the house. So. <laughs> right. What do you have? <clears throat> this is a very unique winery. That this is. I'm, the, this parenthetical is is in the description. This is a very unique winery that dates back to the early 1900s, 1998. Okay, Which good. is, A, not that long ago, but B, it's not the early 1900s. Right. Uh, they source from unique microclimates and are unique in that. 
although located unique in that, although located in the central coast where Pinot Noir and Chardonnay are the dominant varietals, they built their unique reputation producing outstanding Cabernet Sauvignon that they still maintain today. That, that was bold-faced, by the way. Still maintained today with yes. bold-faced? Yes, because, yeah. you know, since 1998, it's been such a long time, yeah. still almost 20 almost years. Almost 20 years, my yeah. God. And it keeps going. This wine pairs a vibrant purple color with uniquely expressive aromas of black cherry, cola, and mushrooms framed mm. by silky tannins. This wine is richly textured on the palate with black cherry flavors and spicy notes of vanilla and cloves. So the second half is just the usual boring. Yeah, but you know what I, I'm uh, so, sort of sorry about the second half is we had four unique I know. in the first four I was, lines. I I wanted one more, and they and they did stop. I'm disappointed. Saying I'm, and my favorite was the here, first Paul. unique because it was very unique. It was uniquely unique. I think, and is what of it course, was. Yeah. we all know unique. that unique means one of a kind. Right. So very unique means very. It, it means it's a percentage of a kind, <laughs> a, a, a fraction of a kind. You cannot be very unique yes. or a little unique. This you can uh, only be. Unique. I, I don't know who this writer is, but I'm guessing this writer is like 24 because 1998 seems like a an age ago. Well, the other part of it is in the early 1990s, and it's 1998. Yeah, I think the cutoff for earlies is pre 1995. I would say so. Yes. So, yes. Well, all right. Well, you know. You, Speaking yeah. of going way back, you know, I missed a uniquely. Yeah, there uh, are actually five uniques. Well, in this. well, we're going to talk. One of them is a uniquely. Yeah. All right. I, I think we're uniquely <laughs> finished with this one <laughs> because we have some real history to get to. Oh yeah. All right. Those guys. See, you know what? We need them for the way forward machine. We need a new yeah, song. Yeah, yeah. We, we need, need them. A, we be, need the brass guys because they're great. The so, okay. but if we're gonna, you know, I, I just. But thought, it would have to be very modern. For it the would, way forward. It would have to be with uh, invisible instruments and uh, <laughs> virtual instruments, flying instruments, virtual trumpets. Yes. Okay. All right. So, what's your uh, what's your way back history machine? Well, you know, I'm us? always amused by people who write about wine today, and they talk about how important it is to go back to those days when wine was pure and unadulterated. And that always amuses me because no matter when you go back in the history of wine, people were always adding things to wine. um, uh, Vintage port, all port, was created by the Portuguese adding brandy to wine to give it a little more staying power when they shipped it to the English. It was an additive. It created one of the great wines of the world. The Romans added all sorts of stuff, seawater, honey. They used to grate goat cheese over the top of a glass of wine. Have you ever tried that, Rick? I, uh, I've tried grating a goat once. It didn't, <laughs> it didn't, goat didn't like it one little bit, I'm no, just saying. No, I'm quite nope. sure the goat was unhappy with <laughs> he that. He was not. But, um, you know, playing around with wine, I, and to be fair, there are some quite famous winemakers in the history of California, for example, who've talked about the fact that they wished their customers had more fun with their wines. Yeah, yeah. And I've seen a, a famous winemaker take a half bottle of red, pour it into a decanter that was half full of white wine and say, let's try what, let's see what happens when we do this. People should have a little more fun with their wine and they should be a little less worried about all this other well, stuff. and we talk about the quote unquote purity of natural wine, and those right. the ancients were putting all that stuff in because their wine spoiled right away. Absolutely, so among did. the things, I mean, besides all that stuff, it was all kinds of ways to make it sweet, like eggshells, yes. and and I, I think you mentioned honey. Yeah, I love that they put in lead. Yeah, uh, yeah. which well, is, you could get your ancient wine leaded or unleaded. Uh, yes, well, 
I'm thinking the lead wine probably did cut down on your lifespan just a it little did, bit. It did, but it was sweet while you had it. Well, it actually gave that wine body and weight. <laughs> it certainly gave it weight. <laughs> All right. Well, another peek into wine's past. This one is about uh, not quite so ancient, but... You know, it, long ago, really before refrigeration, which actually isn't all that long ago, you know, when yeah. when you when grapes ferment, they eat the yeast and they create alcohol, and one of the byproducts is heat, and the other is CO two. Yes, and so they often had open tanks outside so that the heat would float off. Uh huh. And was, the CO two would float and the CO two would float off. Right, yeah. which was not a good thing to have in a winery because it would right. pretty much kill who's in the winery. Um, so we've got this cloud of invisible CO2 floating up, and here comes a bird, <laughs> and plonk right into the tank. Yeah. And so uh, the, those unadulterated natural wines had lovely, lovely notes yeah, yeah. of crow. Crow. You know, I'm crow getting a little, or wren. I'm getting a little har- robin here, Paul. It's just, <laughs> so. um, all right. That's a lo- Excellent. That is a peek at wine's past. We've had a peek at the wine's future. Let's go back to peeking at wine today by taking a couple more questions. Okay. Boy, you're, that, that was really a segue. That, really, that, was, that was They terrible. paid you extra for I'm that. sorry. My apologies for that one. <laughs> All right. So this is a simple one. This is from Teresa and Thousand Oaks. Is, cool. che- is cheap wine bad for you? Is cheap wine bad for you? It is not bad for your wallet. No. In no, fact, it's I, not. I, it, it's, there, there's nothing in cheap wine that isn't an expensive wine. Right. Right. It's just wine. It's just wine. Yeah. There's, yeah. It's, it's, it's made really with simple. less expensive grapes. It's probably blended over a broader region. It may be even blended from vintage to vintage, but it's one of the reasons those wines often taste very, very consistent from year to right. year. Uh, it's just made in big quantity. And I do a tasting every year at the college with my students, and I don't tell them what's in the glasses. And every year, the least expensive wine is always ending up at the top of the of yeah, the heap. No surprise. Uh, you know, though, if you did a, a longitudinal study of their health, you'd find that all of those people who drank the cheap wine had died or you died young. But they had more fun. They had more fun. No, that was the people with the lead. I'm sorry. I got that one backwards. <laughs> cheap wine is, com- Teresa, no different. No, no there's different. no, there's no, yeah. All right. And this one is uh, from Nick in Sacramento. Um, and he says, are there any special ways to get a wine spill out of a couch? So, Paul, I need to tell you a story. Rick, uh, did you spill wine in the couch? Well, no, this one wasn't actually me. Not this time. Okay. So this, this is an unusual this story. Was, this was a while ago. And, okay. and I was dating uh, my now spectacular wife, Deborah, and we were visiting uh, her sister and her brother-in-law, so my future uh, long-to-become sister-in-law and brother-in-law. Um, and we were on in their living room with a glass of red. all on the couch? Uh, well, Deborah and I were, and Deborah spilled a glass of red wine. <gasps> on the couch, on the white couch. You're telling this about your wife on uh, the air? Yes. Well, because here's the great part. My my now brother-in-law, Kelly, jumped right up, jumped right up, rushed out of the room, came right back in the room with a bottle of red wine and poured it into Deborah's glass because the first thing he needed to do was refill the, <laughs> refill glass. the glass. And I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> I'm marrying into the this right is family. A, this is a good family. These are my people. <laughs> <laughs> So the answer, Nick, is it's really is the same as as any other material. It, it, is that you know you try to get something on it as soon as possible, like even just water. Yes, and and like mineral water, sparkling water yes. tends to help. Uh, white wine can also uh, effectively um, uh, uh, dissolve and and want red wine, but. There is one difference, Rick, which is most of us wear clothes that have not been treated with something like Scotchgard, and most sofas have. So it's actually easier to get wine off a sofa than it is out of your sports jacket. 
I, I, I put tape, clear tape on my sports coat just to make sure <laughs> it's that. It's a good idea. Because yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm going to spill. Just, you know, just wear a happen. bib. Yes. Just wear I, a bib. I do. I just walk down the street with my bib on. <laughs> all right. But it's so, so all the same. But something, something get water quick. And if it, even if it's just water, yeah. that'll, that'll yeah. help. Yeah. And then, and then don't rub, but um, just press and absorb. Press and absorb. Yes. And if you have a cat, sop it with the cat. <laughs> cat. Yeah. cat. That, that will work well. Cats love that. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Okay. okay. Well, that should do it for another. <laughs> it is de- definitely going to do it. <laughs> we have lost all our cat listeners. <laughs> but that is another round of Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Our producer is the ever-patient Devin Cortan. Thank you, Devin. Our associate producer is Jerry Marin. Thanks to Capital Public Radio for the serious use, as always, and for including us on their podcast lineup. Yes. Look for us and ask us a question on all of our social at Rick and Paul Wine or at rickandpaulwine.com, our website. And if you learned anything today, we hope it's that whatever the future brings for wine, let's hope wine snobs disappear. But we still need cats. We do need cats. Maybe they'll switch to all being snobby about stamps. That's what we hope. Okay. Yes, although good for wine, bad for stamp collectors. In any case, I am Rick Cushman. And I am Paul Wagner. And remember the best wines are the wines you drink with friends. Or with us. Especially us. (laughs) 